Be seated. This is my friend Joel. And um, how are you today? Good. Have you ever watched the television show Ted Lasso? No. Good. <laughs> Ted Lasso is this show about uh, the English uh, football team. Thank you. At any rate, so there's an b- ugly divorce. Um, if you wouldn't mind sitting standing right here. It's like right there. Put your toes like right there. So um, say goodbye to your wife. Love you. Yeah, you, you want him into the microphone. Love you. All right, then I'll take the microphone. So, okay, so it's this uh, show, right, about this uh, English football team. Painful divorce, okay, and uh, the woman who gets, the, um, Rebecca, gets the football team um, is kind of out to get her ex, okay, and so that's kind of the premise of the show. At any rate, season one, episode eight, there is this um, dart game, right? No, no, it's a little bit lower because it's got to be like at the parade wall, right? Okay, and then it is seven feet, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine point two five inches, so that pre- premise is that Rupert, the ex, is going to make just life just absolutely horrible for Rebecca and Ted Lasso. Is that looking good? Yeah, you know, that's perfect. At any rate, okay, so there's this like, like, and so Rupert has announced that he's just going to make life and just crazy, okay? And so uh, Ted Lasso, the character, the, uh, the, the uh, uh, gentleman from the United States of America who's an American football coach, um, challenges challenges Rupert to a game of darts. Little does Rupert know, who's an expert dart player, that Ted has played darts from when he was 10 years old to 16 years old every Sunday at a local pub with his father. So, at any rate, it gets down, okay, to this moment, okay, where Rupert's way out in front, okay, and, and, and Ted has to, has 170 points to go out. So he looks at May, the bartender, and says, May, what do I got to do to do this? And she's like, you have to get two triple 20s and a bullseye. <laughs> and so we're going to replicate it. <laughs> Did you like it? Isn't it amazing? And it's like, oh, right, he was left-handed. One of the most dangerous things in the entire world is to overestimate your ability. An equally dangerous thing is to underestimate your opponent's ability. And the game is won by Mr. Lasso, but because I lack the ability to throw darts. You're sweating. You are genuinely sweating. I'm like, hang on a second, man. I got to be like, here, let's. One of the things I was going to say is there's that trust in your pastor part too. Right, yeah, I wouldn't do that. (laughs) Thank you very much for playing. Esther, verse 1, chapter 6. On the night that the king could not sleep, he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Tiresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this, the king's young man, 
attending him said, nothing, nothing. Nothing has been done for him. And the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows. We argued last week, probably more impaled, but suffice it to say, Mordecai's death. And the king's young men told him, Haman is here, standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. Tell me a story. Sing me a song. It's sad and it's sweet, and I knew it complete when I wore a... Thank you very much, Billy Joel. No ambient on board, okay? The king is awake. And in this continued theme of arrogance, of overestimating, perhaps, I can't sleep, get the book, tell me how great my kingdom is. Or is it more along the lines of, I feel like I'm forgetting something. Have you ever been there? You're like, in the middle of the night, you wake up and you're like, what is it? And you go through the litany, right? You start with unconfessed sin. Well, maybe you don't, but I do. Okay, I start with unconfessed sin. Okay, I'm like, okay, God, forgive me for all the things that I can remember that I've done wrong today, and forgive me for all the things that I haven't done wrong that I don't remember, or all the things that I did wrong that I can't remember, or whatever. So start with unconfessed sin. I think it's a great place to start, okay? And then maybe pop a couple ibuprofen, because usually that takes some of the relaxation into the life, takes, puts it into life. Uh, maybe, um, maybe think, okay, but, but it's still there, right? What have I forgotten to do? And I want to give the king a break, and so I'm going to go with that one. This sense of, I feel like I'm forgetting something. Now, of course, we could also argue about the unseen power, right? The confidence that we have, even though God's name is not mentioned in the book of Esther, that that does not mean that God is not present in the book of Esther. The unseen power pulling the levers, the convergence of events, a conspiracy unveiled, an outsider queen, a message relayed, a deed that went unrewarded, and now a sleepless night. But let's be honest, in saying yes to that notion, which I think is accurate, we have to acknowledge that there are two unseen, two unnamed powers in the story, right? The text goes on, and it's all about winning streaks. How long can a willing streak continue, right? Until the S&P 500 hit January 2022, it had been on what? An almost two-year run from March 2020 to January, right? And before that, since 2008... Now, now, to be sure, steady, okay, steady, steady. This is not a good week to pull money out of the market. Calm down. Everyone needs to relax. Everyone needs to slow down. Winning streaks, how long can they last, right? A 10-game winning streak, a 20-game winning streak, a 33-game winning streak, a 111-game winning streak? Mr. Khan was the world's best squash player from 1980 to 1986. He's Pakistani. He won 555 consecutive squash matches, squash matches in a row. Free throws in a row. A gentleman by the name of Tom Amberry took 12 hours. He sunk 2,750 free throws 
consecutively. Haman's on a wind streak. Here's how the text reads it. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? Last week, we introduced the idea of of a sense of modesty, a sense of pride goeth before the fall, a sense of perspective. Haman's like, what a great question. Let's roll. What should be done? Haman said to himself, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? What a great thought to have about oneself, huh? Was it Machiavelli who wrote, you know, if at any point your position with a king is sure, at that point begin to think it's unsure? And Haman said to himself, who would the king delight to honor more than me? I've accomplished so much. I'm on a winning streak. What could could possibly go wrong? And Haman said to the king, okay, and it's kind of like, it's kind of like if you've ever been in like at a candy shop, okay, you've, you've gone to the chocolate ox or you've gone to, and you're like, okay, and I want the gummy bears and I want the jawbreaker and I want the, um, 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 the Jolly Ranchers and I want, um, oh, I love the little uh, bit of honeys, right? And my dad loves chocolate covered almonds, dark chocolate covered almonds, so let's get a few of those and an orange soda and some ice cream and he get, you can't even control yourself, right? You just, you just like give it all. I just want it all. I just want, I just want as much as I can possibly get. That's where Haman's at. Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And king said, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let the royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, on whose head a royal crown is set. It doesn't even make sense. Why would you put a crown on a horse? I mean, he is so far out in front of himself. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Who could possibly be more important than me is really the question that Haman is asking. This last week, I was looking at Paul Allen's art. Paul Allen, Bill Gates, perhaps you've heard of them, founders of Microsoft. He has this billion-dollar art collection, right, that's coming up for sale at Christie's. And to be sure, if I had real money, I would do that. I mean, I would so be, I'd be so into it. I would be, I've just, I think art is so, and original art, I think is so, so, so cool. I mean, I'm looking through it, right? And I'm like, okay, yeah, I can't afford $100 million pre-auction estimate. Can't afford $50 million, okay? But then it gets down to a Jasper Johns-like thing of the United States of America with borders that's pre-auction estimate going between one and 10 million or something like this. And I'm like, hey, that's, it's not even a possibility. And I'm thinking, but you know, because you start off at hundred million, you're like, well, it's only a 10th of that. Well, I mean, it could be possible, right? No, no. 
get to the end of the article and related articles, okay, the one that popped up first was Paul Allen's obituary from 2018, that at 65. It's so tempting. It is so tempting to think that we are special. It is so tempting. And to be sure, we have value in God's eyes. We are created in the image of God. That's why we have a uniform value of human life. But it's so easy to fall victim to the very thing that Haman fell victim to. Who could possibly be more important than me? And then we do all sorts of stuff because we think we're important. And we engage in behaviors and we try to get away with stuff because we think we can because we're important. It's all here, right? It's all here. And, and then this, this heavy plot twist in verse 10. Then the king said to Haman, I mean, Haman's just like, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. Hurry, take the robes and the horses you have said, and do so to... <laughs> whoa, whoa. What? Now, it's interesting, because earlier um, in chapter 6, Mordecai isn't referred to as Mordecai the Jew, he's just more referred to as Mordecai by the king and the king's servants and all these types of things. And so a little bit you're like, okay, well, maybe the king doesn't know, right? Maybe the king doesn't know that Mordecai is a Jew. Maybe the king isn't aware of what's going on and he's just thinking he's going to honor Mordecai and doesn't know about the... No, 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 the king knows. Do so to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing you have said. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and I want to add the crown on the horse. <laughs> Why would you put a crown on a horse? He dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Turning the tables. Ted Lasso. Rupert not understanding that Ted is totally hustling him. Turning the tables. Moving from a position of weakness to a position of strength. Moving your opponent from a position of strength to a position of weakness. Judo, we see this, right? using a person's strength against themselves, or, or this slow accumulation of subtle but strategic moves in which the underdog moves into the winning position. The display of unassumed strength. Just imagine Mordecai. Just put yourself... That would have been so sweet, Right? It would have been like a fresh seven-layer bar with an ice-cold glass of whole milk with, with a side of chocolate chip cookies. The, the other night, a friend who's more like a father took Tanya and I out to the classic, okay? 
I had the filet on the risotto. Oh my goodness. This amazing combination of fat and salt and texture and taste. I mean, just nothing better, right? That's got to be where Mordecai is at. This powerful sense of schadenfreude. I mean, if you've ever experienced it, there's nothing better than taking an arrogant SOB out. Did I just say that? Can I say that? Is that okay that I said that? I think I just did. The story is absolutely delightful. We still got a big problem to solve. It's not lost on Haman. Verse 12, then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to the house, mourning with his head covered. Just a beat down like up, all beat downs. And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to them, to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. Zeresh, so different than verse 14 of chapter 5. They are so confident. Here? Oh, he's a Jew? What are you messing with a Jew for? There. You're feeling bad about this guy? Just have him destroyed. Just destroy him. You destroy him, it'll make you feel better. We talked about that last week. This week. This this doesn't bode well for you. There's been a couple times in my life, and by couple, I mean more than two, but probably less than a dozen, probably even less than a half dozen, where I've really been in the soup, okay? And, and when Tanya, Tanya fully understands the whole story, she's like, yeah, yeah, you're in a lot of trouble. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's delivered so matter of fact. No emotion, no rancor, no anger, just utterly, completely, totally, yep, this is not going to go well for you. Suresh is like, um, I don't know what you're thinking. And Haman has someone who is completely on his side deliver objectively bad news. And again, we see this unseen force, this unnamed force at work, right? But like I said earlier, I think there are two unseen forces at work in the story. I think it's easy to say God's name isn't mentioned and forget that there are forces of evil. That there are the good, the side of God, and the side of evil, the side of Satan. And I think we give mental assent to that idea. Of course. But I don't know that we live with it in a daily sense. 
And part of it, to be sure, okay, if it's a spiritual battle, then it somehow seems like, well, it's a spiritual battle. It's not really my responsibility. I'm not culpable for my bad choice. The devil made me do it. These types of things, right? At least in my life, I've been very reluctant to say, okay, it's a spiritual battle because somehow then in my brain that lets me off the hook. And so I think it's easy for us to give mental assent to the idea that there are forces of good, that there are forces of evil, but that we don't live with it in a daily sense. Because we can control everything. Or we think we can. Because we're strong enough, rich enough, powerful enough to do what we want to do, when we want to do it. And we really even don't have to think about that stuff. But I think if the unnamed, unseen force of God in the book of Esther is present, then I also want to argue that the unseen, unnamed force of Satan is also present in the story. And that though there are human actors on the pages whose names leap off at us, that it is a battle between good and evil. Who wins? I don't know that we live with a daily sense that there is a battle going on in our lives. Who wins? We've said it before, right? Rarely will anyone in this room encounter the craziness that is going on in the book of Esther. So, so, yeah, no one here is going to be the king of Persia. No one here is going to be the second in command. No one's going to be the queen of Persia. No one's going to be Mordecai sitting at the front gate. No one's going to make a choice that results in some homicidal maniac wanting to have a pogrom against all of the Jews. No one, okay, yes, I get that. But what about the small skirmishes in our lives on a daily basis? Who wins? Who wins? And sometimes we can get away with them, right? Sometimes it's so easy to get away with the small things. What difference does it make in the small thing? Tiny thing. Sometimes I think we underestimate the opponent. Sometimes I think we overestimate our own ability. But make no mistake about it, each of us on a daily basis finds ourselves in a battle with good and evil. Do we have the modesty inside of us to recognize our need for a Savior in those situations? 
do we have the ability to distinguish between good and evil? Because sometimes evil looks a lot like good. Do we have the ability when we encounter something, whether it be at work or at home or at play or with friends, where we're like, this, this just doesn't make sense. What is going on here? And in that moment, can we put our finger on it and say, is this spiritual? And do I need to invoke a different perspective? Anna Crawling um, is this 20-year-old uh, phenomenal chess player. She's, her parents are um, uh, Swedish and Spanish. Um, her mom is a Swede. Her dad is a Spaniard. Both of them were grandmasters. Anna's 20 years old, and she looks like, um, well, she's blonde-haired, blue-eyed, okay, and doesn't look like, and what she loves to do is go into situations and, and, and play chess against guys that are hustlers that are thinking, what could a blue-eyed, blonde girl know about playing chess? If, if you check her out, it, it's absolutely amazing, okay? She has this, this nervous little giggle, which isn't a nervous little giggle at all. It just means that you've been defeated. And she consistently approaches these guys who think they have everything figured out. If we learn nothing else from the downfall of Haman, learn the ability to view ourselves with modesty, with humility. Learn to view ourselves with the ability to say, I'm, I'm, I'm really not that big of a deal. And no, on a daily basis, yeah, it's good versus evil. Please pray with me. In the quietness of the moment, do business with God. Maybe there's something we've forgotten to do. Let God bring it to mind. Perhaps we need to deal with our own arrogance. Father, enable us to be humble. Not that we would describe it as that. Enable us to embrace humility. Enable us to find our place on your side. Father, meet our needs today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.